2: And now, Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris.
1: You need to get to go and need to be able to get where you need to go to do the work and get home. This has
2: been Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. Stu does America.
0: Thoughts.com is where you go to get your entire collection of wonderful moments from Kamala Harris. BlazeTV.com slash Stu is the place to go to subscribe to Blaze TV. Don't miss it. Promo code is Stu to save 10 bucks. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to like this video right this second. Sean Clifford is going to be here today uh, to tell us about how we can keep our kids safe in the terrifying world of technology. Joe Rogan took an interesting approach to a debate on abortion. I want to highlight that today. But we start by doing the Cheney implosion. yes. Yes, you were all waiting for it, weren't you? Be honest, you were. Uh, It was a bizarre, bizarre race. We highlighted this a little bit yesterday. This is a race between the pro-Trump candidate and the anti-Trump candidate, right? Well, which one is which? (laughs) If you would have asked a few years ago, you would have had a totally different answer. In fact, in 2016, Harriet Hageman was a plotter against Donald Trump. At least that's how the New York Times described it. Basically, she was one of the people who helped organize the attempt to overthrow the primary results to get Ted Cruz in and Donald Trump out in 2016. Then she comes to 2022. She's the pro-Trump candidate endorsed by Donald Trump to defeat Liz Cheney, who is now an anti-Trump candidate, even though she voted for Donald Trump in 2020. Now, of course, she's come out since and uh, regretted uh, that vote, she said. Um, not sure if we have that headline, but uh, that's uh, the one uh, she where she kind of comes out there. And is. Uh, she regrets that vote now, guys. She regrets it. But she made it in 2020. The election that everyone was talking about was the election in which she actually voted for Donald Trump. I mean, it's just been a bizarre election. None of this matters, of course. Everyone knew exactly what was going to happen. And I think it hit basically around the level that we uh, thought it would. Liz Cheney was defeated by Trump-backed Harriet Hageman in Wyoming and it was, shall we say, not close. Not a close race whatsoever. Hageman with 66.3% of the vote. Liz Cheney at 28.9. Now remember, she won easily just two years ago. How fast this stuff all changes. uh, Completely destroyed in a, it's important to note too, Yes, she's become sort of a national figure because of this Trump opposition. Of course, she was in Republican leadership before that. But, you know, the Cheney family basically, you know, politically runs the state of Wyoming. Uh, they're one of the, you know, they're, they're, the, the, they're a legendary political family. Like, it's hard to lose races in that state if you happen to be a Cheney. Uh, but Liz pulled that one off relatively easily. So she got that one done. An implosion, I think, is a fair A fair uh, discussion here, point here, because really, like, she never had any problems before. If she hadn't taken this approach, could she have survived this? I mean, I think the answer to that is yes, though she was really more worried about what's coming next, and she wanted to make sure that you knew that she was basically Abraham Lincoln, you know? And this is what every losing candidate says. You know, Abraham Lincoln lost races too. Yeah, I, I know, but that's probably not the defining part of his career. Just uh, my 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 two cents on that one. Uh, Representative Liz Cheney compares herself to Abraham Lincoln following a resounding defeat in the Wyoming primary. Here she is doing that.
1: The great and original champion of our party, Abraham Lincoln, was defeated in elections for the Senate and the House before he won the most important election of all. Mm. Lincoln ultimately prevailed. He saved our union. And he defined our obligation as Americans for all of history.
0: (laughs) Now, we can all sit here and mock this. But I mean, frankly, what else are you supposed to do in this moment? She bet big here, right? She bet that the tide was going to turn her way. And in the Republican primary, it did not quite clearly. Uh, When the her uh, opponent was announced uh, in, in this race, you know, she replied on Twitter, bring it. She wanted the challenge. Well, she got it and it did not turn out all that well. So, what would you do after a resounding defeat? Go to the college of Beto O'Rourke and decide you're going to run for president, of course.
1: Are you considering running for president yourself? Well, what I'm gonna do, Savannah, is spend the next several months uh, completing my work in Congress, obviously completing my work representing the people of Wyoming. Uh, We have a tremendous amount of work left to do on the January 6th committee. Uh, And also, though, uh, I'm going to be making sure that people all around this country understand the stakes of what we're facing, understand the extent to which uh, we've now got uh, one major political party, my party, uh, which has really become uh, a cult of personality. You didn't say yes or no, and that's fine if you're thinking about it, but are you thinking about? It? Are you thinking about running for president? It, uh, that's a decision that I'm going to make in the in the coming months, Savannah. I'm not going to make any announcements here this morning, but uh, but it is something that I uh, I'm thinking about, and I'll make a decision uh, in the coming months.
0: I mean, look, there's absolutely no path here for someone like Liz Cheney in this party right now. This is a party that is Donald Trump's party. Uh, you could say that you don't like that. You could say that you love it, but it is just true. It's his party. Whatever he wants is most likely going to happen. Now, that hasn't been the case every single time. He's had some high-profile endorsements that have you know, been smoked in some of these primaries. But generally speaking, it's the party of Donald Trump. That was, uh, I think, the risk going into uh, this if you don't like Donald Trump back in 2016. Is this going to become just a Donald Trump party? Well, I mean, it is basically. It is, and you can like that or not like it, but it is the truth. Um, here's a here's a piece of evidence to support that. Uh, Ten people voted against uh, or for the Donald Trump impeachment. This is the second one, um, and. Um I mean, it's very likely none of them are going to survive that vote. Right now, we know eight out of the 10 are not going to make it. Only two House Republicans who voted to impeach Trump may return to D.C. There's two more that have survived to this point and could conceivably get in. But even, you know, candidates like Peter Meyer, we've talked about him before in Michigan, who voted against uh, Donald Trump in the impeachment vote, but then, you know, didn't constantly talk about it, did not do the Liz Cheney approach. He even lost a much closer election, but still lost. There's two left, one in California, one in Washington. Uh, so we'll see how that turns out. But the bottom line is if you take a stance like this, generally speaking, if Donald Trump notices and it becomes part of who, uh, part of uh, his, uh, his uh, orbit and he's, he's on top of it, you're probably gonna lose. And look, if you wanna take that risk, if you believe something is, is important enough to say, You should do it. But just know that the voters are going to hold you accountable for that vote. And that's what they did in Wyoming. Whether you think Liz Cheney is right or whether you think Liz Cheney is wrong. The voters of Wyoming are the people who are important here. And they thought she was wrong emphatically. Um, Now, uh, Alaska also had a pretty uh, interesting uh, election night. Now, Murkowski and her Trump back challenger are going to advance in the Alaska Senate race. So this was a primary uh, for the Senate. You get four people through to the next round, which will happen in November. And then they will go by ranked choice voting. This is how the uh, vote looked last night. Uh, again, Alaska's weird. It's going to be two weeks until we really know what these results are. But Lisa Murkowski was at 43.7 percent. And her opponent uh, that was endorsed by Trump is at 40.4 percent, basically, you know, almost tied. Uh, so you will see. Now, you would probably think that the Democratic candidate, with their 6.2 percent, would probably be re- re- distributed more towards Murkowski as we get uh, later on in this race as the ranked choice voting goes through. We will see how that goes uh, later on. Jacob uh, Rubashkin pointed this out. It's pretty interesting. Um, now, Peltola is the Democrat in the House race. We're going to get to that in a second. But she won 56,892 votes in the House special election, where she's the only Democrat. In the Senate primary, Democrats combined for just 12,375 votes. Where did the 44,000 plus other voters go? Looks like they went to Murkowski, meaning as much as two thirds of Murkowski's vote was from Democrat House voters. So that's basically what we're seeing here is Murkowski, while she's still a Republican, is being seen as the moderate in the race, which I guess you'd say that she is, and the Democrats are abandoning their own candidates and moving over to Murkowski. You could see that same thing happening when the ranked choice voting plays out as we go toward the general election. And when that does happen, Murkowski is going to have a very good chance to hold on to that seat, but it's not going to be a blowout. It looks like it's going to be pretty close over in the house. This is, um, you know, honestly, off the top of my head, I don't remember if this is the, uh, remember there are two elections for the same seat going on the same night in Alaska last night. <laughs> Amazing. The general election for the special was going on to, uh, last night. That election will tell you who is going to serve in Don Young's seat. He passed away. Who's going to serve in his seat until January? Then there will be another uh, general election in November to see who holds that seat after January. So there was the primary for that election also going on last night. I know it's confusing. I'm trying to walk you through it, but it's pretty much impossible. But this is how that one looks right now. Now, only 69 percent of the vote is in. Why? Well, it's Alaska. And... uh, who knows what's going to happen. They need at least two weeks, at least two weeks before we're going to know these results. It's a, they will not calculate the rank choice portion of this vote until these votes come in from overseas and everything. So that's August 31st. So you got weeks before you're going to really know what happened in this race, who's going to get this seat. But if you kind of look at this. What you see is the Democrat is in first place, 37.8%, Sarah Palin in second, 32.1%, Nick Baggage is in third with 28.6%. Now, as these extra votes trickle in, this could change. There's still about a third of the vote left as of this moment to see if these things change. What really is important is who comes in second and who comes in third, because whoever comes in third eventually is going to get their votes eliminated. And those votes will be redistributed to voters' second choice. Now, if you look at this, you've got two Republicans that are making up about 60 percent of the vote here. So what you would assume would happen is that people who are voting for, let's say, if it holds to be this way, people who voted for Nick Begich, they will have their votes redistributed to their second choice. You'd, you'd assume that most of those votes will go to Sarah Palin, though Palin is somewhat of a divisive figure, even in Alaska these days. So it's possible some of those, maybe you know, a third of them will go to the Democrat. Still, I don't think it's going to be enough for the Democrat to hold there. We'll, we will see as we get closer. The fourth place candidate, almost all their votes will go uh, likely to Palin. Uh, so we will see how that uh, goes as well. Uh, one other race I want to bring up and this, There was no election last night. Uh, that was regard, in regards to this, but I, I, I'm obsessed with this race because it's the most—it's one of the most insane races in the country. This is the Fetterman-Oz race in Pennsylvania, Senate race, huge seat, purple state, you know, very close primary in the Republican side. Another Donald Trump uh, endorsee, Dr. Oz, squeaks it out by what was it, 1,400 votes? Very, very close. Uh, so Dr. Oz gets the primary win and then has gone on to really kind of just disappear. Uh, people have, uh, have noted that he is uh, not running a very good race. Uh, it's uh, been bizarre. And it's especially bizarre because his opponent in the race had a massive stroke and almost died. And at this point, doesn't seem to be able to do much of anything. He's barely out on the campaign tour and uh, seemingly can barely speak when he's out. Now, Democrats seem to like candidates that can't speak. Uh, Joe Biden, uh, Kamala Harris, you may have noticed at the beginning of this particular program, veepthoughts.com, and John Fetterman, they seem to like him now as well. One of the things going around, though, is they're trying to hit Dr. Oz for being, I guess, an elitist because they've resurfaced a video of Dr. Oz complaining about
2: inflation, watch. I thought I'd do some grocery shopping, I'm at Wagner's, and my wife wants some vegetables for crudite, right? So here's a broccoli, that's two bucks, not a ton of broccoli there. There's some asparagus. That's $4. Yep. Carrots. That's $4 more dollars. That's $10 of vegetables
0: there. And then we need some guacamole. That's $4 more.
2: And she loves salsa. Yeah, salsa there. $6. Must be a shortage of salsa. Guys, that's $20 for and This doesn't include the tequila. I mean, that's outrageous. And we got Joe Biden to thank for this.
0: All right, so there you go. Now, he's getting hit because people, you know, most people don't say crudité unless you're working at a restaurant. Uh, that makes him elitist, apparently. Uh, also, he screwed up the name of the grocery store, which is I don't, either Redner's or Wegmans. I don't know. I think you kind of combine those two together. Uh, is that a big deal? I mean, it wasn't a big deal, of course, when Barack Obama said, anyone gone into Whole Foods lately and seen what they charge for arugula? I mean, they're charging a lot of money for this stuff. That was a total made up scandal back when Barack Obama did it back in 2007. Uh, John Fetterman had a response to this video and mm, crudité, as he's pointing to you know a, a packaged uh, dip and vegetable thing. Now it's smart to put John Fetterman in a photo. Uh, why? Because uh, then he's not moving and or speaking. So. I mean, the best way you can. This is the best thing they should be doing. Again, I am I don't want the Democrats to win this race. But if I were a Democratic operative and I were advising a Democratic campaign, I would say make him invisible until November. The Joe Biden strategy from 2020. Act as if there's a new pandemic. Say he's scared about monkeypox or something and hide him in the basement and hope nobody notices because that's your path to victory. Um, Let me give you this one more time. This is Fetterman attempting to speak post-stroke. And this is, I mean, I don't know if there's any doctors in the audience other than Dr. Oz, but somebody would, somebody needs to do something here.
1: And you can count on us to eliminate the filibuster. If you come out and step with us, we will be able to stand with you in dc i gave away the lieutenant governor governor in pennsylvania the only lieutenant governor in the history to do that and let's let's get some stuff done for america who would ever think that i would be the normal the normal one in the race area with like that
0: mm, yeah, no, I, people are not uh, not not necessarily thinking that the philly inquirer has come out and, and talked about uh, another scandal because you know people like to say well I mean he's having a health problems and look we wish him the best of course but I mean I uh This is scary. Right. I mean, he's having massive health problems and the Democrats are trying to, you know, weekend at Bernie's this guy into uh, the the Senate seat. And I don't know. I I, I never think that's a good idea. Uh, But it's not just that Uh, Fetterman's. uh, This is the Philadelphia Inquirer's take. John Fetterman's parents gave him money into his 40s. Republicans say that undercuts his blue collar image. I don't know. Is that what Republicans say? Do they how much? How much? I don't know. Did your parents pay for stuff into your mid 40s? Is that a blue collar thing to do? I guess if you're, you know, a very rich family, perhaps that's something that went on. Uh, Fetterman has openly acknowledged this long stretch lasting well into his 40s. His main source of income came from his parents, who gave him and his family fifty four thousand dollars in 2015 alone. Is that is that blue collar? He worked as a mayor of Braddock, which paid him one hundred and fifty dollars a month and a job he held for over a decade. Uh, He also uh, he says he grew up in a cushy environment in uh, York County. He now earns $217,000. His family's assets are uh, over $700,000. And his parents supported him for nearly 13 years. But blue collar city, hey guys, he's wearing a hoodie. Uh, Not to mention stuff like this, a Democratic Senate candidate voted to free convicted murderer who killed 18-year-old for heroin money. He's been constantly voting to free rando criminals, uh, murderers. He seems to be the only one on the council, who, uh, on the board, who's actually voting to release a lot of these people. And I guess we should rewrite this. Republicans say... Democratic Senate candidate voted to free convicted murderer who killed 18 year old for heroin money, because you can't just criticize a Democrat. The only time you can bring up something negative about them is when you say Republicans pounce or Republicans say uh, before you do it. And all of this adds up to obviously Dr. Oz and a big comeback. Right. He's now tied it up. Maybe he's leading now. Right. New poll is out in Pennsylvania. He's down by 16, 16. Good job, everybody. Look, the truth is election season is already a circus and it's only bound to get crazier. Will we have a TV doctor in the Senate or a guy who's barely alive? I don't know. Will a former governor and VP candidate go to the House? Sarah Palin. I don't know. Or will the grandson of a guy who died in a plane crash while serving in the same house seat go on to replace another guy who died while serving in the same house seat? Who knows? And will Liz Cheney become president? Well, we have a lot of questions, but not a lot of answers, except for that last one. And of course, the answer to that is no. The best in skincare is from GenuCell. This is a great gift to anyone who might be on your list. Uh, you want to have someone who's getting the best care. you got to pamper yourself a little bit. A little self. Self-care. That's right, GenuCell. Uh, I love GenuCell's plant stem cell therapy. i Have used it all over my face, under my eyes, and it clean up the dark flakiness and even reduce my forehead lines. Someone even asked if I had work done. Nope. Just GenuCell. Thank you from Samantha in Arcadia, California. Thank you, Samantha. Uh, this is we get these all the time, and uh, this is because you've got fine lines, forehead wrinkles, dark spots, sagging jawline. Even those annoying bags and puffiness, they can be gone without getting any risky work done. And with GenuCell's immediate effects, guaranteed results are in as little as 12 hours or your money back. Now, during GenuCell's summer blowout, every most popular package is 65% off, and you get a complimentary gift set with your order. Uh, every most popular package includes a free month supply of the original GenuCell under-eye bags and puffiness treatment. Just visit GenuCell.com slash Order today and get their summer essential, the dark spot corrector, absolutely free. GenuCell.com slash stew. G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash stew. It's GenuCell.com slash stew. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you get started today at plushcare.com weight loss that's plushcare.com loss. plushcare.com weight loss I'm happy to welcome in Sean Clifford to the program he's the CEO of canopy and I want to get into what that is and how it's going to hopefully not make me go insane as a parent canopy is the uh, canopy.us is the site Sean how's it going Good, how are you doing? Good. Um, so I have two small kids, a nine and 11. They've just come through this period of being, you know, completely perfect, innocent little angels, and they're now getting to the age where they're growing up and they want to be on the tablet all the time. They want to be on the phone all the time. And I got to tell you, as a parent, I am stunned as to how difficult it is to figure out a way to manage the content on their devices. It is, I figured this would be the easiest thing, super built right into the device, the easiest thing in the world. It is not. Uh, Can we talk first about the problem here? How common is it for kids to go the wrong direction on the internet?
2: Regrettably, it is so common. Uh, We live in an age today where bad content finds your kids. And it used to be 30 years ago, we can all talk about, um, you know, a magazine that might be under an uncle's bed. You had to work hard to find that stuff. Now you have to work hard to avoid it. And it's just part of the reality of kids growing up with ubiquitous devices everywhere uh, and also growing up where the tech companies have effectively Mm -hmm. um, designed their programs in such a way that they're exercising control over what your kids consume. You know, 30 years ago, you had control. The parents could decide what was appropriate for your kids to see. You could check what they were bringing into the household. Now, that's all been outsourced, and it's unfortunately a big problem. And a lot of stuff is creeping in.
0: Yeah, I, I really, I, mean, I said this already, but it's like it, it was really surprising to me, as I tried to set up the parental, uh, you know, features on you know iPads and iPhones and all these things, as to like they did. They make it almost impossible. There are some third-party attempts out there. I've tried some of them. I have, you know, I found them to be very difficult to get set up and to manage. Canopy is your company, and you're trying to kind of come up with a different approach
2: to this. Can you kind of explain what you're trying to do? Absolutely. So first, at the very outset, we want to kind of overturn the whole category, which has um, historically been called parental control, uh, and we want to do that for two reasons. First, most parents do not want to be controlling. And most kids in fact all kids don't want to be controlled (laughs) right and I think at the very outset it's a misnomer in that the goal is not exercising control per se but actually helping your kids initially through some guardrails learn how to navigate this because you want them ultimately to go out into the world to enjoy the freedom and the internet does provide tremendous freedom and you want just to make sure that they have a good head on their shoulders to navigate that so the first is just kind of a philosophical difference in what we want to build the second is we're trying to bring technology to this problem that's as dynamic as the internet itself. Two quick innovations that our amazing R&D team in Israel has brought to bear. First, we've trained our artificial intelligence engines to detect problematic content. At the very outset, nudity and pornography. We're now working on violence. Uh, And so today we can identify any nude image or video with 99.99% accuracy. The second big innovation is that we can do this in real time, in milliseconds as you browse, which is so important because, again, 30 years ago, there may have been a red light district of the Internet. And if you could just like shut that down, you were fine. Mm -hmm. Now it's everywhere. And a lot of the content that's popping up is like brand new. You can have a site that's fine today and problematic tomorrow. And only if you're able to analyze everything in real time as your kid ventures out into the world can you really ensure that they're going to be protected from a lot of the toxic content that's out there. So what happens when when you, when you Canopy detects one of these bad images? What actually goes on? Great question. So we've got a couple different approaches. Um, if it's just an image uh, or a single video within an otherwise fine site. So a great example here is Twitter. Twitter. Twitter has Elon Musk memes and Bitcoin jokes and cat videos and news and whatnot, and also a ton of pornography. I'm sorry to say. Hmm. And so for a site like Twitter, we can actually filter within it and just pull out the problematic content. You still can access all the other all the other um, entertaining and informational content out there. Separately, if you go to a website that triggers a threshold, let's just say 51% of the content is problematic, we'll end up blocking the whole site. But Our approach is to bring a scalpel instead of a butcher's cleaver, where we're not forcing you to make an all or nothing decision about the broader internet. We really can go through and say, hey, this one photo's bad, take that out. Everything else is like, have at it. Is this
0: sort of like a a way to hopefully walk some sort of line here because I, you know, I liked M. Night Shyamalan's The Village, but I don't necessarily want my kid to be completely (laughs) in a field for the rest of their lives, never seeing a device, though I will say at times I do want that. I mean, I find it to be such so overwhelming and such a difficult thing to deal with as a parent. I mean, is this kind of the way to walk that line where they can get access to some of the good stuff
2: without all the craziness? That's our hope. And this is really born out of kind of two thoughts. The first is, irrespective of what you want, the world is going to push this upon them. It is rare to find a school today that does not, by seventh grade, mandate either homework or in-class education take place on a tablet or a computer. So whether we like this or not, whether you want to go this almost Amish approach or not, you have to prepare your kids for this. Then secondly, I think broadly speaking, we really need to think about the world that our kids are going to exist in. And my hope is that you can raise kids almost like that scene from Goodwill Hunting, where like they've read all the stuff, they know what's out there, and they can reject it from a point of conviction and confidence because they know there's something better out there for them. And so from both perspectives, yeah, we really want to provide families a way forward, number one, where they can get the good without the bad, and number two, where the proper decision about what you're encountering is actually up to you. It's up to the family. Right now you go on one of these platforms, like you have no say. It's the algorithms, it's, uh, you know, like TikTok, foreign government, mm-hmm. it's marketers uh, and strangers that are deciding what your kids are being bombarded by. And that's properly the decision that should be made by families together. What about uh, the actual
0: creation of content by uh, by our kids? I mean, we see so much of this now, and I, I think back to my childhood and, God, thank God there was no social media and no, you know, cameras and all the nonsense that I thought was funny back then is not still exist. Is there a way to manage sort of their digital footprint as they grow up so we don't ruin their lives later on?
2: there is and it's evolving a little bit i really think there's two things parents need to take in mind so first canopy has developed uh, proprietary technology that can scan every photo taken by your child's device to see if it has inappropriate content on it right now that means is there nudity or minimal clothing like bikini or lingerie and if it is if our software detects this all by a machine no human ever looks at it we give the child a choice do you want to delete this because it might be inappropriate or do you want to send a copy to mom and dad (laughs) <laughs> and <laughs> That's hopefully great. that provides them a choice. And like, is that half second pause? Like, are you sure you want to do this? Which, I, look, when I was 16, I I'm, I did something I probably shouldn't have done. But it was not captured for um, posterity at the time. The second thing, which I think is, you know, just uh, forever truth. is like you need to equip your kids to understand that digital is forever and that what they do however uh, innocuous it may seem, they have to assume this will be seen by everyone. Or like more to the point, I mean, my kids are so young. I've got an 11 year old, a eight year old, a six year old and a three year old. But you know, I tell them like every picture that you take usually with my phone, are you sure that you would want Nini or Mamu, our two grandmothers to see this? I'm like, if that can be the question as they go forward in life, like, is this okay for my grandmothers to see? Like, hopefully that will help uh, nudge them in the right direction. Right. You know, I think one of the things that's interesting about this is so
0: many kids, I think, get brought into this world um unintentionally. I mean, you know, there's certainly an age in which a a kid grows up and they decide they want to go out and see things that might be enticing to them. But like this is now being forced essentially on kids much younger because they stumble on it. They don't even know. They're not even looking for it. I mean, the overwhelming majority, if I'm not mistaken here, Sean, uh, of kids wind up having their first experience with, you know, uh, porn or whatever, you know, R-rated to X-rated material without even intentionally searching it out.
2: That's exactly right. The last study on this that I saw was that 63% of children's first exposure to hardcore pornography was accidental, unintentional. They were not seeking it out. And for America today, that means that most kids in this country will see hardcore pornography before they have their first kiss through no fault of their own, Mm -hmm. right? Not even actively seeking it, like you said. Um, And that's a huge problem for parents and for kids themselves because what we now know, there's been a ton of research in the last two decades, thanks to advances in neuroscience. And we can now say with some degree of confidence that the earlier you are exposed, the greater the likelihood that it captures some part of your imagination and actually uh, helps set in place certain understandings and norms around uh, intimacy and sex and what should be and what exists out there. And so, regrettably, this is happening earlier and earlier, the age of exposure is dropping every year, Uh, the accidental exposure, the number of kids that see it is increasing every year, and the impact that it's having is just profound. Yeah, I I mean, I just have this real sense,
0: less research-based and more just how everything feels, Mm. that this era has brought a lot of, I mean, this era of not just social media, but, you know, this constant access to porn and all the other stuff that's on the internet has brought so many real negatives uh, to us when it comes to, um, you know, attention uh, levels, whether it comes to just the way people wind up acting and their attitudes towards others, their inability to interact with others the way that they used to. I mean, is that me imagining that, or does does the research
2: back that up. Completely backs it up uh, from a diverse, broad array of different experts out there. So probably the best case was iGen, which was written by Dr. Gene Twenge, that said, if you look at longitudinal data going back to the 1950s, something happened in around 2012 when you had mass adoption of the smartphone. Um, If you look at other like Dr. Howard Gardner, kind of the Harvard psychologist who was known for theories of multiple intelligence, has a great book that says Childhood today is fundamentally transformed and just goes through the data. So people without an ax to grind who aren't out there on a quest to kind of take down big tech, although in some cases very appropriate to do so, um, are just documenting that this is having a profound impact on what it means to be an adolescent today. And again, it's a trade off. It's so novel, right? You and I did not grow up with this. Like we had maybe the internet at some level, but like, We did not grow up with immediate, instantaneous access to everything out there at the push of a couple of buttons. And what that means for a child to grow up, I'm going to just give you one stat. Your average teenage boy in America today who's been exposed to pornography by age 13 and consumes it at normal average levels will probably have seen more than 10,000 naked women by the time he's 18. You cannot go from that into a healthy, normal relationship just like that. Oh, my. Right. God. It is shaping how you view the world, how you view the opposite sex, how you think about the role that you should play. What's normal uh, in, in just ways that are deeply problematic and we're still just grappling with because it's so new.
0: Yeah. And I was just reading something the other day on that, you know, women are finding the attitudes of the men that they wind up dating are, are shaped by the porn that they were watching as they were younger. And there all sorts of talk of aggressive sexual behavior and all these things. Uh, this seems to be just all over the place. Um, so let me ask you this, Sean. Um, the, the problem, I think, is real. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, I have had my moments where I'm just like, I don't I throw my hands up. I don't know what to do with it. I've tried to set these things up. I've tried to get everything done. Is canopy easy to use? And if parents are are interested in it, how do they get how do they get in
2: touch with you? How do they get it? Well, thanks for asking. Yeah, we've tried to design this to make this as seamless and easy to use as possible. Uh, First, they can check us out at Canopy.us and kind of find out what makes us a little bit different. Our entire approach was we want parents to be able to navigate this uh, with peace of mind because it is overwhelming. If you're a parent and you go out there and every day something new is popping up, whether it's a new meme, a new type of emoji, new slang, or new Platforms, right? I had one conversation with a mom who's like, I figured out Instagram, and it's like they're on Snapchat or Discord now, mm. right? Like things are moving at such a fast pace. And we really wanted to be the tech company that could be a Sherpa that could help you navigate this, both by providing a tool that can do some of the digital parenting and like make the same decisions that you would make about what comes into your living room with respect to what comes onto your kids' phone. But then, secondly, Also provide you some uh, updated playbooks, some guidance on what's out there, what kids are wrestling with today. And the thing that I found, you know, and again, my kids are still young, but most teenagers deeply crave some time online and also recognize it's not making them happy and they don't know why. And they're looking for some guidance for how to navigate this. And as they look around at their class and their friends, and oftentimes at their parents, they see that this is a force that's like captured attention, but not always in ways that people are content with. And they're trying to figure something out. And I bring that up only to say, there's a desire to forge a better way out there. And this is not having to convince them to undertake a brand new lifestyle. It's actually to say, hey, the reason you feel dissatisfied right now is because of this, right? And there are ways that you can live with this that don't let it dictate to you uh, what you care about, what you see, but actually can be a tool that helps you do what you want to do. Well,
0: we need a hero in this realm. And I I don't know know if Canopy is it. I hope it is because we need one badly. Sean Clifford is the CEO of Canopy. You can check it out at canopy.us today. Sean, thanks so much for coming on the program and telling us all about this.
2: Steve, thanks for having me on.
0: Our friend Glenn Beck has a special coming up tonight. You don't want to miss that. Be a member at BlazeTV.com slash Stu. Coming up this week, we have uh, Allie Stuckey is going to be coming on. I'm excited to talk to Allie because I have not spoken to her really uh, other than passing in the hallways. Uh, since Roe vs. Wade was overturned. And this is an important issue to her, as it is to me, and I want to get her reaction to that. Plus, some really crazy stuff going on with Boston Children's Hospital. We're going to get into her uh, on that one. I think it's going to come up on Friday, so don't miss that. By the way, we do have the uh, 62422 merch still on sale at uh, studasmerch.com. 62422 is the day that the Dobbs ruling came out officially and overturned Roe vs. Wade, a great step toward uh, life. We, I, I got a clip from uh, Joe Rogan I want to play from you uh, coming up as well here in a couple of minutes on the life uh, issue because, you know, it's become, it's, I guess it's a little bit controversial, but uh, I don't know. It's, I, I want to I go through it because I think some pretty interesting arguments made there. We'll get into that here in just a second. It's studoesmerch.com for the 62422 stuff. Use the promo code Stu10 to get 10% off. we are in a historic housing market uh, really one no one's ever seen before and uh, if you're going to be making a major transaction in the middle of this you better know what you're doing now i don't of course know what i'm doing proudly i really have no awareness of my surroundings outside of this particular room so I wanna have a great real estate agent, someone that can walk me through every single bit of this process, because I don't understand it. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to take advantage of these things. I just hope that somebody else does, and that's why you go to realestateagentsitrust.com. Get the best real estate agent in your area. You don't want a junky one. You want one who is good, who knows what they're doing, who knows the market, who can help you on the buying side, That's really important. A lot of people don't get buying uh, agents that are on their side when they're buying. But also on the sales side, make sure you have somebody on your side with realestateagentsitrust.com. Find that person today at realestateagentsitrust.com. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Katundra from Jackson. She
1: is for real. Never just as quiet like her she's a former public defender katanji brown jackson she is for
0: real now you might think are you just playing that song to get it in my head again and the answer to that is of course yes but there actually is a katanji brown jackson update today uh she's got some new pictures coming here's uh the uh she's got a vogue I mean, this is, I can't believe I'm saying this. She's got a Vogue photo shoot coming for, with Annie Leibovitz. So it was like a very famous photographer. Now, I bring this up largely to point out that for four years in the White House lived a woman who was a supermodel and never got a cover of any major fashion magazine. Nothing. The entire time she was there because she was married to Donald Trump. Katanji Brown Jackson, a vogue photo shoot with Annie Leibovitz. You, you really can't make this stuff up. There's, there's no clearer picture of, uh, of political bias than Melania Trump, who, by the way, never said anything. Like, she, barely, she didn't really even hold political positions publicly. But even that, just because she was married, all these people who say women power, you know, feminist rights, but you're going to be judged by your husband's political views. Unbelievable. Uh, Joe Rogan uh, interviewed Seth Dillon, he of the uh, Babylon Bee, and they had an interesting back and forth about the issue of life. And I want you to listen to this. This is they went into the the most difficult part of the conversation, and Seth Dillon had uh, an interesting uh, an interesting argument. I want you to hear it. You don't have the right to tell my fourteen-year-old daughter she has to carry her rapist baby. You yeah, understand to that? To look
2: that woman in the eye, who's, who was the of a But listen, you
0: understand that? That's a fourteen-year-old child. I if know. you a fourteen-year-old child gets raped, you say that they have to carry that baby? I don't think two wrongs
2: make a right. I don't think that's murder, not, I, I don't, don't think, think murder is an answer to. I don't think murder fixes a rape. I think abortion is health care. The way that rape is lovemaking. If we want to, if we want to use rape as an example, I think it's. I think they're, they're opposites and 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 it's like a, a these are euphemisms that we use you know we use the word healthcare we're talking about a procedure that ends an innocent human life and we're calling it healthcare that's like calling rape lovemaking
1: and this is why it's such a human issue because I right. see what you're saying.
0: Mm. It's interesting. He kind of Rogan was seemingly a little won over there by the end. It's one of the things we've talked about before. This is a difficult thing. Obviously, you're talking about someone who's a victim of a crime, and then you know, in this in this telling of the story, you're forcing them to go through with something. The other way to look at it, and we've talked about this before, is in a situation where rape is uh, part of, uh, of of a, a terrible uh, you know look. It's a terrible crime, right? And you have three people involved in this story. And the problem with this more than anything else, and it's hard for people to deal with, is that you need to punish two of them. Now, if you're going to pick two people to punish out of the three that we're talking about, there's no good choices here. One of them, yes, is the rapist, but who's the other one? It's either the fact that the woman has to go through with, you know, time, you know, carrying a baby she did not want to carry. And I think at times conservatives kind of say, well, I'll just have the kid and just get it adopted. And, like, you know, I mean, I, some women are able to do that, and thankfully they are. I mean, I know people who have adopted children who were born of sexual assault that are brightening lives all over the country. So, Look, you know that is one of those things that can happen, but it's a little flippant, right? This would be a terrible, terrible thing for the woman to have to go through, and we should acknowledge that as conservatives and people who, uh, who respect life. But if you're doing it the other way, you're gonna to have to punish the rapist, which is great, but then also the baby. The baby, and you're gonna punish them with, with a death penalty. And the question is, which one is less uh, objectionable? there's really only two options here. And, you know, one of them is going to end a human life. And that is just, you know, something we should try. I can't believe I have to say these words. We should try to avoid it at all costs. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to click like on the video, drop a comment below. I mean, what other show can bring you from a Katanji Brown Jackson song to rape abortion talk in less than four minutes? I mean, I don't think there's another option for you, so you might as well click like. Uh, we have a. What a bizarre show. Um, there's a difference between public and private opinions poll that came out from Axios. And it tells a very interesting story. Should CEOs take a stand on controversial social issues? Well, 28% of people say yes publicly, but only 14% privately agree. There's a gap of uh, 10 points the same way if public schools focus too much on racism. Did mask wearing, uh, was that effective to stop COVID-19? Well, 59% of people publicly say yes, but only 47% privately. And you see this gap of 10 to 12 points on a lot of these big Crucial social issues that we've been talking about for a long time, as well as abortion and uh, gender identity. And it's funny to see this because it's just a it's a statistical way of illustrating what I think everybody feels, which is they don't want to say what they actually believe publicly. Well, first of all, to to be able to, you know, win what I guess is the culture wars. You got to be honest about what you believe. And that will help people uh, who believe what you believe. It's not only going to help you and then feel good when you say it, but also help people that believe the same way. Um, but also just highlights that like this stuff is real. This is not what well, we're not making this up on the blaze and on talk shows. That's not the way it works. BlazeTV.com slash Stu is a place to go to subscribe to PlaceTV. Glenn's show is coming up here in just a second. Don't miss that. Use the promo code Stu to save 10 bucks.